0: Good afternoon and welcome to Purpose on Purpose, Overcoming Adversity and Creating Resiliency. And today we have an incredible guest. But before we introduce Jim, I want to say hi to my co-host, Christy Grease. How are you, Christy?
1: I'm awesome and honored to be here. Thanks, Dario.
0: So Jim Hood is the CEO of Generation SOS, and he became... CEO of Generation SOS after a personal experience that, uh, as a dad, is something that uh, is unfathomable to me. And we've been talking about resiliency, we've been talking about overcoming adversity, and I couldn't think of anyone better to talk with than Jim Hood. And Jim, welcome. And I think we should just jump right into it. Uh, Do you know anything about adversity?
2: I, I, I'm halfway. Th- I'm halfway through the book. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Darian. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Christy. It's it's an honor to be here, and uh, and thanks for uh, taking some time and and inviting me to join you, good yeah. folks.
0: So we, we, what we've been talking about, really, Jim, is overcoming adversity and diving into whether or not there's a formula for creating resiliency and. Creating resiliency, not just the second resiliency, but really to fulfill your purpose, to be able to live your purpose after you've experienced you know, some kind of challenge. For me, in many cases, it's been a self-imposed challenge. Uh, certainly I've had challenges imposed on me, obstacles imposed on me, but I've created my own challenges through decisions I've made in my life, right? Um, but they still required you know, a step to be taken to develop that resilience to overcome that adversity, whether it was self-created or self-imposed or what have you. I know you have a very personal experience uh, in, in with dealing with resilience and I'd love to invite you to share that and and let's do sure. you know, that a little bit, please.
2: Well, thank you. Uh, thanks so much. Um, yeah, I don't know that I have any magic formula for uh, finding resiliency um, it, 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 to the extent that I have any, I will tell you, it's hard work. It is, it is hard work to find it and yeah. hold on to it, and it's 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 tempting at times to walk away from the challenge, just to pretend it doesn't exist, because maybe that allows you to forget about the pain. That that, on the other hand, the pain allows you to pull up the the resiliency. And sometimes I yeah. think you just want to chuck it, and and just try to find an easier path, you know, in life. In in my case, uh, uh, Daryon Christie, as you know. Um, my challenge was with my um uh my oldest boy Austin who um at about 14 started um using alcohol <clears throat> certainly not the first kid to do that um yeah. but you know as as any reasonable parents we thought that might be a little bit too much a little bit too soon
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh n- not a great thing and then um but then, within a year, and and when I say started using alcohol, he started find bottles you know hidden in his room and under his bed and stuff. So this wasn't just maybe the occasional Friday night or Saturday. And then within a year, um, we found out <clears throat> he was using weed and using it quite a bit. Um, and you could see changes in his mood. so so that got, you know, even more worrisome, and we started to see um, you know, therapists and do whatever we thought we could do as parents. Uh, but it was alarming, and of course, there's no rule book for this stuff. There's no guidebook, you know, for parents. Mm. And and then, uh, really, within a year is kind of when the wheels came off because he started using uh, opioids, pain mm. pain pills, painkillers, and um,
0: and that was at sixteen, Jim.
2: Yeah, about sixteen, uh, Dario. About sixteen, um, and that's a whole different slippery slope that we can come back to. That a lot of parents today don't understand because it really wasn't around. It wasn't part of the repertoire for most of us when we were that age. Um, plus I'm generalizing, you know, kids are starting younger now. Most of us weren't starting at 14. It might've been 16 or 18. And there's a huge difference, but he started, uh, Austin started, and I, you know what, <laughs> he's always here. Uh, put, I want to put a, a oh, face on Oh, so <laughs> awesome. Um, Please. You know, you know, he, he, um, it, the, the behavior really got terrifying because, because what you do on opioids is so much different than the way you behave with alcohol and the occasional weed. Um, and they're really, really dangerous things. Um, and so, you know, we had to, um, we had to do an intervention. I mean, we, we pulled him out of school, we sent him to therapeutic boarding school, you know, one of those places out, out west. Um, and it, all I can tell you, ups and downs, ups and downs. It's yeah. just heartbreaking uh, disappointment, alternating with, you know, moments of great hope and like, hey, we're going to beat this thing and we're making progress. Yeah. I, not even to speak about the money, uh, because it, this thing breaks families apart emotionally, financially. Yeah. Um, anyway, you know, he, he um, came back home, finished up high school. We were incredibly hopeful. Um he went off to college. had a great uh, a great freshman year, but then but then you know we hit another we hit another wall. And it, of course, this goddamn thing it it kind of come, it comes and grabs you just when you think you're almost yeah. out of the woods. The dragon kind of pulls you back into it. And um, and at the end of uh, well, really, I guess the beginning of his um, sophomore year, he um, he started to have some real challenges at school. And you know, we pulled him out, got him into an intensive outpatient program. Um, you know, you know, was doing much, much better. Uh, held down a couple jobs. Was talking about his music had never been better, never been better. He was a brilliant musician, guitarist. If if Austin <laughs> sat in the living room and played his guitar, mm-hmm. you thought you thought John Mayer was in the room. dead wow. serious. And and so he was doing much better. Wow. And, and was getting ready to go back to school, and then. Um, I had this this weird thirty six hours that I could never really reconstruct. I got a, a couple messages, text messages and voicemails from a phone I didn't recognize for the nineteenth time. Austin had lost his phone or misplaced it or whatever. That wasn't such a big deal, but a couple of the messages seemed sort of sort of disembodied and disconnected and and worrisome. I tried to reach back, but of course I couldn't reach him because it was on borrowing a friend's phone. And then, and then something just, I, I, I got a couple of voicemails that really were not him. And, and you have to understand, throughout this whole journey, we were closer than close. I mean, we talked and texted every day. This isn't one of those father-son, you know, check in every three months whether you need to or not. I mean, every day, yeah. texted and talked. And, and I knew something was was wrong. I tried to reach him, tried to get the owner of the phone to reach him, to go to his apartment. And, and I couldn't, I was getting ready to, to go fly down. And then I got that uh, that phone call that brings any parent to your knees, uh, but they found my boy uh, mm. and he was gone. My beautiful boy was gone and uh, and it's a life changer. I, I mean, it, it's really a life changer because as you and I have discussed in the past, Ariel, the, whether whether we're conscious of it or not, and I think as a good parent, you are, you, you realize how much you live for your kids. I mean, it's the reason you drag your butt out of bed, you go to <laughs> work, and you, you do crap, you don't have to do. And <laughs> yeah. a, lot of it is, a lot of it is for them. A lot of it is for them. And then, you know, in, in addition to the fact that your, your heart is broken and your soul is crushed, but you call into question your purpose because, you know, if the thing that I'm sort of, sort of in large part living for is gone, um, and I, I don't mean remotely that I was suicidal or anything, but, but the void is unspeakable because it's like, what, what do I do now? He's gone. And I kind of failed him and myself and our, our bond. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a remarkable, uh, remarkably painful introspective, uh, journey. And here I am, uh. Eight years away, and and it's still incredibly mm-hmm. emotional. And I am sure it will never change. Uh, yeah. You know, people yeah. ask people ask me, "Is it? Does it get easier?" And you know, it doesn't get any easier. It gets different. No. it doesn't get doesn't get any easier. So, so that's the foundation. And then what I chose to do with um, to the best of my ability with the rest of my life, I guess, is finding resiliency and channeling it in a way that hopefully can help others uh, from this. Anguishing, anguishing journey.
0: Two, two things I want to say, Jim. First, uh, my heart goes out to you, and I, I'd love to be able to hug you. And just <laughs> me too. I, you,
1: I can remember. use that. Thank you. Virtual Share hug. <laughs>
0: that a hug from a <laughs> guy like me can offer you, and and I, I mean that sincerely. I send you love. I, I send you my condolences. We've had the chance to talk about this a little bit, so it's not the first time I've heard it. Uh, it doesn't make any easier listening it listening to it the second or third or fourth time and I can't imagine living through it. So I appreciate your openness in, in talking about it. You mentioned earlier that part of resiliency, even though there isn't a magic formula, if you will, um, is not walking away, right? So if we right. if we put that in a positive sense, it's basically showing up every day. right How do you and I know this is a tough exactly. question to answer. But how do you show up every day after you lose your boy? You know, well, you- I can almost
2: guarantee you, you're not going to get any uh, uh, deeply profound answers from me on this, on this, uh, on this podcast. But I can just share it. It, I think what it is is I, I look back at my life. I had been more, you know, more successful than I deserved. May, maybe more successful than I needed to be. But boy, does all of that stuff lose meaning? You, you know, when you have something like this happen in your life, and that's when I made the pivot to say, um, and, and believe me, it wasn't uh, arrogance. I don't, I don't have any arrogance, uh, and you really don't have any arrogance after you lose a child because you realize just how frail you are. But, but it came to me that maybe. Just maybe I could do something to help others, and I did without going into too much d- detail and boring you folks. I did a little research, I suppose, in 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 this space. You know, because people people devote themselves to trying to help folks who might suffer from cancer or heart disease, and you know, or or diabetes or or any of so many other um, serious afflictions. But this. Field of of addiction prevention treatment overdose was so broken. You know, when I looked into it, it's so broken. It's just not organized. There are there are nonprofit organizations, as there should be. Don't don't think for a second I'm making a comparison, but that raise hundreds of millions of dollars a year to fight some of these horrific illnesses and afflictions, and and. You know, if if an organization in the I call the addiction space, which includes preventing prevention, if an organization in that space raises a million dollars, it's a lot of money. So I I started to wonder, is there a way that we could try to tackle this thing a little bit differently, um, focus more on prevention Mm -hmm. rather than treatment? And I want to be very careful with my words. I have so many dear friends in recovery. I would never say to you treatment and recovery aren't important they're incredibly important like they are with every illness but maybe maybe we can spend more time on the prevention side of the mountain, so we can catch the kids before they get to the top and go down that other side which is so unpleasant and particularly unpleasant because much treatment is not so good not so successful and it's wildly expensive so you know that, with the help of some other wonderful people, kind of became my North Star of maybe I can help. I definitely want to try to help. And it seems to be the best thing I could do w- with my remaining years on Earth. And then really, that becomes the legs of the, of the resiliency stool. And, and the work is hard, and it's often not fulfilling, meaning the setbacks are endless. You know yeah. that to be true of all nonprofit work. Yeah, and it's triply true, quadruply true, in a space like this because of all the stigma, stigma, stigma. But um, Mm -hmm. there is something to be said for just just keep grinding away at it and knowing that bit by bit we're making some progress.
0: Yeah, Chrissy, do you know anything about what he's talking about? (laughs)
1: Uh, Yes. Well, I mean, that's a loaded question.
0: I know you know a lot about it, but I want to. to (laughs)
1: my mama bear heart to your Papa bear heart. I give you so much love and respect and um, empathy. And I'm so sorry that this is the path that you're on, but I honor you and I just thank you so much for taking this tragic situation and giving purpose to it. I do um, know a little bit about that. Um, your nightmare was was gonna be mine and, um, I don't know why God spared my daughter, but I'm spending the rest of my life doing exactly what you're doing, which is, is making purpose of it and, and hoping to help the people on the path behind me. Um, in, in my case, it was my little girl at three months old started seizing and we started a nonprofit called Mickey's Miracles um, that helps families urgently get to um, the right treatment and, and everything that you're saying about prevention is is our wheelhouse. It's our purpose, our mission is about it's about let's let's not cross the chasm and get to the point where it's destructive. Let's get and, and help families and, and and educate people before they even have a child. Let's educate families and and people before they, they even give birth so that they know, you know, I have a ten year old son and then you're a little girl and and a a little boy and i know that you have other children so i'm sure that's something that gets you up in in the middle of you know in in the morning and helps you move forward with your purpose what i wanted i read in i think it was a public service announcement that you put out with your organization that now the leading cause of death under 30 years old is is drug overdose is that true and can you speak into that and and just just educate us a little bit about um this this terrible dilemma
2: yeah, and and thank you for the terrific work that that you do. um, um it's it's touching and it's it's impressive, and we all need to do more of that. yep, addiction slash overdose, and they're not the same thing, right? But they are very related, so it's it's legitimate to kind of put them in under one umbrella. Uh, mm-hmm. remain the leading cause of death under 30 in America. And I think, um, p- well, part of the reason this thing is it, that that's shocking is people have ignored this issue for, for too long. Maybe it's been contributed to by the media, but you kind of have this image of, of addiction. And a, we, we, we're we not supposed to call them addicts. It's people, you know, with addiction, struggling with addiction. But we have an image of, frankly, a guy. and. It, Often, typically, a guy of color, you know, shooting up under some bridge, and, and that's your sort of throwaway, forget about him, addict. Um, but of course, it couldn't be further from the, that exists. But it couldn't be further from the truth for the most part. I mean, the face of addiction is is Austin or or your daughter or or their best friend or or their loved one. Ninety um, percent of the time, and this shocks people, the the seeds of addiction are planted during adolescence it is legitimately an adolescent onset illness. Mm. And it's interesting when you tell people that it usually gets a bit of a gulp and you can tell it, it almost softens the heart a yeah. little bit because this notion of that freaking loser, you know couldn't keep a job for a decade and a half, what did you expect of him anyway? It's like, really? It, how about a 14 year old who's just trying to get through a really complicated world with pandemics and mass shootings and everything else and um, and it's oh it's my a lot gosh, more
1: bullying and
2: it's bullying and eating disorders and self self image and, and anxiety and depression yes. and, and drugs drugs too often prescribed for anxiety and depression and ADD and ADHD but they're just kids and if it could be worse um, as the age of first use gets lower and it's getting lower every year. Parents don't wanna hear this, but kids in uh, middle school or junior high school, it's called some parts of the country are starting to use and everything else being equal. And they've researched this. If you start to use when you're 12 or 13 or 14 versus even 18, 19 or 20, your chances of becoming addicted or OD'ing are exponentially higher. So that it's, the odds are working against us. But a long answer to your question, because now you can see why it's the leading cause of death under thirty because it starts in the teenage years, and 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 people don't understand that. Yeah, people people don't understand that. It's um, you know one in every one in every seven people in America will have a substance use disorder in her or his lifetime, um, which is kind of and staggering. Seven. Yeah, and 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 this comes that comes from a big study that the Surgeon General did just two or three years ago. And I think about this a lot, and comparisons are treacherous. So I, I make these more as points of observation, not, not to be com- comparative, much less competitive. Yes. But you know, what this, what this country went through with COVID or is still going through is just unspeakably tragic, and I'll avoid, you know political commentary. So we lose 500 or 600,000 people, unimaginable, but we lose at least half that many to addiction and overdose every year every year, not just in 2020, you know, going into 2021, every year for the last 20, and if we don't do something about it, every every for the next 20, but it never seems to get to the top of the list. I've, I have a dear friend who, in this space, who's a, Greg Williams, who's a force of nature. He did a remarkable documentary called The Anonymous People, and he talks about the empathy gap. We just don't care enough about this issue although all the statistics suggest we should care about it an awful lot more. Um, yeah. So, yep, it, 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 and it, it devastates families and we lose lives. And look, I, I talk about deaths, but thank God many people survive. But the, but the ones who survive maybe lost five or 10 years of their lives. They lost friendships, they lost jobs, they lost homes, marriages, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and they're the lucky ones. You, you you know I mean they're the lucky ones because they're still here. Um, we just have to roll up our sleeves and get after this thing, just like we have with almost every serious, every other serious illness in this country. Because that's what that's what you do. That's what we do. That's what Americans are supposed to do.
0: So we have show up. We have serve, and I think that's a good transition into Generation SOS. And the work yes. that you do, Jim. Tell us yeah. a little bit about the organization. First of all, where can people learn about the organization? And I know you're going to tell us a little bit about the work you guys do. But where can people find you if they're interested?
2: Sure. Um, well, the best, the best, best place is to go to our website, GenerationSOS.org, o-r-g, okay. not com, because it's a it's an, a not for profit organization, yeah. as you know. Um, and you can search Generation SOS or permutations thereof on Facebook and, and Twitter and Instagram to, to see our social media. Well, given given what I said about um, being an adolescent onset illness, now putting on your marketing hat, it's, it's, it's no surprise that if you wanna try to have an impact against this thing, you gotta be talking to kids. And I say that most with great love, respect and affection, <laughs> kids meaning teens, sometimes preteens, and sure, it, it, they can age out into their early 20s, right? But the sweet sweet spot is, is teens. So we created an organization, you know, the, the mission, the mission statement is sort of youth empowering youth to make smarter decisions about substance use. Um, we certainly don't advocate substance use, um, but we also don't advocate abstinence for the simple reason that it's not realistic for kids today. It's realistic insofar as if you never took in any alcohol or drugs, you would not have that particular problem. But this America has tried this for years with just saying no to drugs and other things. As soon as you say that to kids, you're cooked. You've lost, we've lost all of our credibility. So you you, you got to get real and, and meet them where they are. So you could really think of Generation SOS as kind of a, a peer-to-peer support network for teens and, and young adults. We create uh, a safe and loving and supportive and non-judgmental co- uh, community where kids can learn about and and talk about the dangers uh, because there's a lot that they don't know, folks. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that they think they know everything, there's a lot that they don't know. And arming them with information. And I'm not talking about you want to really have fun getting high, mix some of this with some of that. I mean, information about the risks. Information about you have no idea that if you take a couple of these and go have three vodka drinks, you're likely not to wake up—not tomorrow morning, ever. It, it, kids need to understand this, but they also need to learn coping skills and signs of misuse. Um, but all of this—it sounds like doom and gloom. It's—it's—it's it's, it's embedded within messages of hope and and help and and it, in a way. In a way it is a form of peer administered therapy. I mean, that's what a lot of therapy is. It's just peer to peer support. I'm here to listen. I'm here to share perspectives. I'm not here to judge. I'm not here to order you around, but we've got to help each other realize that they're, they're not alone. They're not losers. This is not about moral failing. Ultimately, we, we get to the point, but we don't really start there, that this, this is an illness and we need to treat it as an illness. We need to respond to it as an illness. But, but what do we do? We, um, Well, just one other piece of background. The reason Generation SOS started a few years ago, and it started in New York City with our current board chair, chairwoman of the board, is in a very short period of time, just within a small cluster of happened to be private schools but it was going out in public schools too there were a bunch of overdose deaths and 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 for the kids it was like what the hell is this what what do you mean billy's not coming back to school what do you mean sally's gone and it was really like like otherworldly not in a fascinating way in a terrifying way the schools weren't talking about it because this is a very unpleasant unsavory subject and the kids were scared to death that they could be next because the kids that they lost were friends who seemed more like them than unlike them they weren't some freaks or losers they might have been an athlete they might have been a cheerleader they might have been a good you know cello player in the orchestra and 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 they're dropping and they're dropping like flies so so, Generation SOS was born out of that, where kids and parents initially came together away from school situations to talk openly and honestly about what's what's going on, and and we've continued those kinds of um, you know you know informative self help sessions. Um, we we typically get together. Uh, well, and by the way, since since New York a few years ago. Um, now we're in many places in New York and we've expanded to Miami, we've expanded to uh, Los Angeles and up here in Fairfield County, Connecticut, and we'll probably ex- expand to, uh, several more you know, cities this year. But what what we typically do is, it, 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 the meetings used to be out monthly in person. And then of course with COVID, we had to move to, to Zoom, but we get a young sober speaker. This may be a guy or a gal 20 years old or 22 or 23 years old, who in most cases, you know, as I say, a young sober speaker, meaning they're in recovery um, and they come and they tell their story and it's unvarnished and it's raw. There's no normalizing. There's no glamorizing of how cool it was to get so screwed up and all that. They tell about their journeys and seeing friends die and thinking that they were, were gonna die. Um, and they, And they share their stories in ways that are relatable because in many cases they're only four, five, six years older than the people they're talking to, it's a lot better than having a school counselor—or no disrespect—or a doctor or officer Muldoon come in and sort of with with PowerPoint presentations and statistics, right. and 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 so we 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 tell these stories and and then afterwards there are incredibly honest question and answer sessions. For any parents who are participating, the, the, the Q&A is with the kids and the parents, but then after a few minutes, we respectfully ask the parents to leave and they'll go off and we'll have a separate huddle and we'll talk about things that parents need to hear about because there's a lot that they don't know, but the kids have a chance to talk yeah. honestly with the young sober speaker and really come to internalize their journey. And I I, I, I wish, well, you'll, you'll come to some of them, I hope. Kids you will. will tell us. The kids will tell us this is transformative in their lives, that they've never been to a session like this, they've learned so much. Maybe they were frightened, maybe they were deeply frightened, but they also, it was a message of hope and I can get through this thing. And and one of the things we hear endlessly is, I, I, I have a good friend who I know she's struggling or I know he's struggling, and I've never known how to talk to him. I've never known how to approach her. And and we're teaching them the ability to give a person a virtual hug We don't give medical advice. We don't expect some 16-year-old to go diagnose his or her best friend, but to start that dialogue and get that person on the other end to realize there's a problem here. And this old model of denying it uh, is ridiculous or thinking, I'm just going to give it five or six months and see if I can work my way through it. Or I'm going to listen to people tell me just, you know, if you're not, if you don't like, Being addicted, just stop do, just stop doing it. Which, of course, is the thoughtful advice you give to somebody with cancer or heart disease. You know, listen, if you're if you're finding this unpleasant, just stop having cancer. It's a whole different way to 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 view this this issue. And and what you what what we find happening is kids keep coming. The movement's growing. Kids come back more and more for multiple sessions. It isn't like one and done. We're creating a community. They like to hang out together. They make friends. There's a there's a, a, a real bond that that develops from from hearing these messages of hope and learning and learning these coping skills. One quick anecdote: we we did an unusual Zoom session with a public school in New York City a couple months ago, and we had a, simultaneously we ran four Zoom sessions ninth, tenth, eleventh, and twelfth grades, four speakers, in an hour. I felt like we were doing some kind of like a a mass wedding in Madison Square Garden or something. (laughs) In in an hour, we were able to touch almost 600 students. And in the days after that, in the days after that, we had dozens of students who went to not to us. We don't matter. Went to their faculty, to their counselors and said this was the single best Whatever I think they called it advisory, but assembly. This was the single best assembly we've ever had during the time we've been students. We also had uh, several people who went to parents or other authorities and said, um, "I'm in we trouble. I think I, I think I think I need to go to rehab." And there, and the person they were telling was like, "What? What are you talking about? I had no idea." So it's. You know, there's no magic, there's no silver bullet, but at the same time, the work of Generation SOS is absolutely magical, and so we're just trying to get the word out um, to more and more people, so we can involve them in the in the meetings and and just um, and just get the message to more and more people s- sooner and sooner.
0: You know, one of the themes that have been constant from the first episode, and certainly as we talked with Amy and talked with Jody, is that. Part of that formula of resiliency is tribe and community. You know, Chrissy talked about in her overcoming bullying how important it was to have unconditional love from friends and from her mom, right? And in right. challenges with her daughter, having the unconditional support of, of Gabe and her parents or her, or her, her mom, you know, was was in critically important in her being able to face that head on and show up every day and listen to her instincts and keep fighting. And it sounds like that uh, community is, is part of what the formula for Generation SOS is and, and helping develop resiliency in those young folks dealing with uh, a very tough issue. But, but the fact that they're doing it from a peer to peer level, right? Their own tribe, their own kind of community. And you guys are doing it from a, an empowerment and optimistic perspective versus talking at them. You're talking with them. Okay. Uh, yeah. You know, creates a community that can arm them with something that they might not have had in their quiver, so to speak. If 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 it were not for the work that Generation SOS is doing,
2: we we certainly believe so, Dario. And, and it's a great observation on your part. Y- you know, despite the image of sort of a, the the happy party scene uh, of of alcohol and drug use, there's a lot of downtime. There's a lot of alone time. There's a lot of in your head. Time and of course, that that is just such a toxic combination. Because the more you're in your head, the more you're alone. The more you start to question, why am I the odd person out? What do you do? You, you turn to substances to medicate, to to right, to to dampen the pain, and it be, and it becomes a vicious spiral. It's why it's why this problem has actually gotten much worse during COVID. Because I mean, it's a in the in the old movie sense of the word, it's the perfect storm, oh. which means it's horrific. You know, all of a sudden, I'm not in school. I've lost my sense of community. Yeah. I don't know if mom and dad are going to keep their job. And if they don't keep their job, can we keep the house? We've got food insecurity, maybe. And I'm starting to go nuts. And I sit in my room on my computer all day long. But there's stuff around the house that I could use to kind of make <laughs> myself get through the day and not feel so badly. And, 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 this thing has spiked, you know, you know, yeah. during COVID. So your observation about creating community, even if it's virtual, it's still yeah. community and it gets people out of their um out of their heads and lets them know that they're loved, they're not alone, and and there's reason
0: for hope. Yeah, I think In Amy you'll general- will- Connection. Is that right, Christy? She said connection also was part connection. of that. Well,
1: I was just going to say the generation SOS. SOS stands for share our story. And, yeah. you know, the the opportunity for not only the the students who and the community who are that actually take, you know, participate in in taking having substance abuse or or using drugs or alcohol but then providing the opportunity for the classmates for the the peers to have a way to understand the thinking behind what's going on and then providing a a platform for them to be able to connect understand and offer support in some way Um, you know, my biggest fear and I tell, you know, my kids this all the time and they're still little ones, but 10 years old, you weren't, you know, my son's not that far off from being 14. And, and I just say, I don't care what it is. Just talk to me. And I'm, you know, so saddened that you had this amazing close relationship with your son and yet this still, you know, transpired. And, um, that's just so devastating. To, to know and, and it's such a, a, a great fear and I and you know I, I'm one that believes I'd rather be scared right now and, and, and you said, you know, the, sometimes the truth does hurt and it is hard to hear, but let's let's cut that off on the past. You know, let's do that now and know these things now so that we can provide for our children coping mechanisms, provide them, help parents understand how we can handle, you know, these situations, how we can provide them. Because I, I did watch my son at ten years old, extremely intelligent young man in his, you know, bedroom for a year and I was watching him get depressed. And it was that's, that's very true. disconcerting. And to know that, you know, all these things are going to be on the rise because of the isolation that, you know, Americans in the world is experiencing right now, um, uh, along with, you know, suicides that are increasing right now because of, you know, the effects of everything that's going on. Um, You know, I just I just thank you for creating this forum for participating, for for making, you know, giving purpose and how are your other you know children are they involved and and do they find a lot of purpose in in this mission as well
2: yeah they of course have their own you know full time school and and jobs and and things as they carve out mm-hmm. their own lives but they're uh they're incredibly supportive as as is my wife um because we've all been you know touched Good. and changed forever by by this you you said um on a, on a lighter note, I should just throw out, you guys are really good. You should think about like posting a podcast or something. I could see a future. Yeah. <laughs> we're,
0: we're, we're doing something. With well, so guests like you, we're you make us look good. <laughs> <laughs> We've had from. our diversity and plenty of opportunity to create resiliency <laughs> from it. And and you know we, we did exactly. this earnestly because we wanted to share our stories, uh, invite others to share their stories. And, and really provide an opportunity for folks to recognize that they have everything they need within themselves to overcome whatever challenge presents itself, whether it's a self-imposed challenge or a challenge that's forced upon them uh, through some external act or some third party or a parent or a loved one or you know, something beyond their control. You know, we believe and know that everyone has everything they need within themselves to develop resiliency from any adversity and to be able to stay on track and to you know live a purposeful life and, and turn whatever pain they experience uh, into something purposeful. And, and what we've come up with so far um, is pretty consistent. You know, service, you know, getting beyond yourself and Focusing outward and and serving others yeah. is an important part of developing resiliency. Uh, we've and I heard think knowing,
2: that. Dario, I'm sorry. And I think knowing that it's a grind, too. And, yeah. and just understanding that it's yes. it's a grind. And and instant gratification is just not going to be part of the formula. Just one other yeah. thing, if if you have time, sure. tell me if you don't.
0: Of course, yes, Christy,
2: yes. Chrissy uh, reminded me. So the, so the SOS in our name, of course, it, and it, the kids came up with it, too, typical of, of everything we do. Mm -hmm. has, has that old meaning, (laughs) the the traditional meaning of urgency, you know, emergency, whatever, even if they didn't know about, you know, save our ships, but it also means sharing our story. So I, I described how in our meetings, we have these, these young sober speakers and they tell their stories, but the next phase that we encourage not to sound too clinical is to get with everybody, every young adult has a story. In this space, whether it's about him or herself, a loved one, a dear friend, a family member, everybody who's honest has a story. And so part of part of what we're encouraging people to do, and we're going to launch something called the Million Stories Campaign. It's not a unique idea, but James Taylor once wrote a wrote a line in a song that was went something like Once you tell somebody the way that you feel, you can feel it beginning to ease. And and what you find out is you know, so it's like, hey, I'm Jim and I have a story too. My story is about my boy. Or, you know, I'm I'm Sally and I have a story too. My story is about my best friend Sarah. And it's not a 25-minute story. It's a little synopsis. But what happens? You you feel it beginning to ease. You realize you are part of a community. You're normal insofar as everybody has a freaking story, and then you can get it out of the closet to, to mix metaphors from you know a different social problem we had a couple decades ago and so we're we're getting people to and kids can do this so easily just pick up their phone shoot on video and just for 25 30 40 seconds tell me what your connection is to the cause why you care about this cause and what even what little bit you're doing to help make it better to help yourself help a friend Make sure that you're not going to let it slide to that place where there could be no turning around. So sharing our stories is a really important part of this of this peer-to-peer process.
0: It's funny. You must have seen my notes because the first part was service is what we talked about, uh, showing up, service. And then the third one is sharing. Uh, Absolutely. Everyone that has been on this podcast has talked about sharing as a way of developing their own resiliency, right? And sharing out loud removes the shame of it, removes the power of the shame because shame can't survive in light when it's spoken It that's can't survive. That's exactly right. There is area. people permission to share as well, you know, oh, and that connection creates the opportunity for that dialogue that creates the community. So it's, it's, it's all kind of part of the same continuum, if you will, when, when we're talking about how to overcome this.
2: People far smarter than me, which is a you know, a pretty low bar to start. Um, A Mr. Harvard
1: graduate.
2: I know, right? (laughs) I'm a Harvard graduate and
0: a bit more money than I can count,
2: but but it was It wasn't that Harvard. (laughs) There's a little town in Iowa. (laughs) People will say, though, I I find this, I really find this just staggering and fascinating, but not, not so much in a great way. They say that the stigma surrounding addiction today is probably about, if you could measure it, about the same as... The stigma surrounding HIV/AIDS 25, 28 years ago, whenever it was before we had 30 years ago, the AIDS quilt moment. That's not a good thing because that was horrific. Mm -hmm. Let's be blunt. We didn't like those people. I say we. Society didn't like their behaviors. We didn't care much about what happened to them. And so we didn't do much for them. I'm not a historian. It could have been Elizabeth Taylor, it could have been Rock Hudson, Elton John helped, many people helped. But suddenly we turned the corner. And said, This is ridiculous. These are human beings. P.S., it's a health issue, but these are human beings. They, they deserve to, to, to be happy. They deserve to live. They deserve to have health insurance like other people for the things that afflict them. And we turned the corner big time on HIV/AIDS to the point, as you know, now with all the cocktails and things, pharmaceutical cocktails, it's no longer a death sentence. Many, most people can live long and healthy lives. But we really haven't turned that corner yet on addiction, but addiction is a 20 times to 25 times larger problem than HIV AIDS was at its peak. So that's both staggering to think about, but because you have to be optimistic in this resilient world, it also gives you reason for hope. Because if we could turn the corner on that battleship, we can and will turn the corner on this
0: battleship too. Yes, we can.
1: Yeah. Yes, we will. and. I'm going to just share something that I wasn't expecting to share. And I don't, I don't know that I've really shared this with anybody, but, um, you've inspired me and, um, maybe there's something here for my healing. Um, on my 16th birthday, um, I had, um, just gotten my license that morning and I was preparing for my 16th birthday party when my mom got a phone call that her sister had overdosed. Um, she... My aunt, I was never really close to her. She started doing LSD in in college and um, for lack of a better phrase, fried her brain and and, um, her life path that was gonna be beautiful and amazing, um, didn't end up so. And um, that just really shaped the way I looked at at drugs and... um, And it shaped me for the rest of my life and and deterred me from any illusions uh, of grandeur of of what uh, drugs would would do for me and and um but i i just thank you for for giving these young people and even myself who's not so young um a forum for getting these these stories out into the light um so that we can get past them and and um create resiliency and create healing and create a a a path for um something different for for really preventing tragedies um from happening and you know we'll do this in the name of austin and i just thank you for being such an amazing father for carrying on his life and his light and um and i i i love that he was an amazing guitar player my son preston's learning guitar right now um so Wow what a what a wow. beautiful blessing.
2: Well thank you for sharing. Thank you for your nice words, Christine. Thank you for sharing your that, that very touching uh, story. I'm sure that was in obviously was and remains impactful. And and Dario, thank yeah. thank you so much for this opportunity. Um the resiliency that you're talking about in these podcasts and with your guests at the end of the day is what we are trying to pass on and teach our kids is how to be resilient and not and not subsequently um, be so vulnerable to the ravages of, of alcohol and drugs and addiction and overdose because it's ugly and we need to we need to save a generation before that other stuff wins. So thank you for this opportunity. Yeah,
0: Thank you, Jim. And just as a reminder, generationsos.org, if you wanna learn more, if you wanna donate, if you wanna volunteer, if you wanna support the amazing work that Jim and his colleagues are doing to, to save a generation, please, um, I invite you to do that. And it, it's, I've come to know Jim, I respect the work he's doing, and, and you're not going to find a more selfless CEO of an organization uh, doing work that is impactful where it matters most with our youth. And uh, I'm grateful to have you on here. I'm, I'm grateful for your strength and your vulnerability, uh, for the work that you do, uh, for teaching us uh, from your personal experience, a little bit more about resiliency and uh, again, my heart goes out to you. If I were in person, I'd give you a, a big old bear hug. And <laughs> I'm grateful. That, that you. day, yeah.
2: that day will come. That day will come. And it, thank you for the kind words. It's it's really the kids. The, the the kids run the organization. It is just so uplifting to see and to feel. I'm just kind of the guy in the background who keeps the trains moving. But the it, the kids are really the heart and soul of of the organization. And I think at the end of the day, that's the
0: uniqueness. Well,
1: thank maybe you. we can have them on here next time.
0: Yeah, so I love that. that. Yeah, we would love that. Love to talk to resiliency with you know from from my team's perspective. I think that's a great idea, Christy.
2: Whenever whenever you me. have time, they would love it, and you'll be blown away by this group—just blown away. But anyway, I th- I thank you both. Thank You're you. too kind, and my love to you, and uh, to be continued.
0: Yeah, generationsos.org, and thank you. And uh, I'm Dario Herrera. This is Christy Grease. This is Purpose on Purpose. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.